Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday, we began looking at some of the newer comments that have been made regarding a video that was produced by God Loves Mormons. It was titled, The Gold Plates, Is Joseph Smith's Story Possible? Bradley Campbell had asked me in 2021 if I would tell about the gold plates using the presentation that I have given several times down at the Mormon Miracle Pageant, and why I feel that the gold plate story is not feasible, or as the title implies, the Joseph Smith story is not possible. And so we decided to go back and look at some of the newer comments, because we have done a show like this a while back, but of course more comments have been made since. Which, like you said yesterday, Eric, this must be a subject of interest. This seems to get the attention of a lot of Latter-day Saints that so many would write in response to this. It's interesting that a lot of the statements, to be quite honest, folks, they're not very good. And what I mean by that is many times they are raising objections that I have responded to in the video. And that's exactly the point. You have given a video that has all of the answers, and it it appears to me that many of them are not really watching your video. They're just seeing the first 30 seconds, and then they get upset, and they write their comment for everybody to see. We thought today, since we didn't really go into the story as it's related in Mormon history books, so we thought we would read the account for our listeners who maybe are not familiar with how Joseph Smith retrieved the plates and ultimately carried them to his home at the time. So what we're going to be doing is citing directly from an LDS history book. And this comes from Saints, The Standard of Truth, 1815 to 1846, Volume 1. So this is an official series produced by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Page 40 of this first volume says this, Hurrying to the hill, Joseph, and it's talking about Joseph Smith, found the log where the plates were hidden and carefully wrapped them in a shirt. He then ducked into the woods and headed for home, his eyes alert to danger. The forest concealed him from people on the main road, but it gave thieves plenty of places to hide. Straining under the weight of the record, Joseph tramped through the woods as fast as he could. A fallen tree blocked the path ahead of him, and he bounded over it. He felt something hard strike him from behind. Turning around, he saw a man coming at him, wielding a gun like a club. Clutching the plates tightly with one arm, Joseph knocked the man to the ground and scrambled deeper into the thicket. He ran for about half a mile when another man sprang from behind a tree and struck him with the butt of his gun. Joseph fought the man off and darted away, desperate to be out of the woods. But before he could get very far, a third man attacked, landing a heavy blow that sent him reeling. Gathering his strength, Joseph hit the man hard and ran for home. Back at the house, Joseph burst through the door with his heavy bundle tucked beneath one arm. Father, he cried, I have got the plates. So that's the story as it's related in an official manual published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is that story that 
caused me to start looking deeper into this narrative to decide for myself whether or not the story of the gold plates is something that should be believed. And many times when I'm challenging Latter-day Saints about this story, I'm inviting them to convince me and to prove to me why I should believe this story. Because you can't just go and say, well, just pray about it. Because if this story isn't true, there isn't Moroni 10.4 that tells you to pray about it. See, that's missed by a lot of Latter-day Saints. Many times they'll say, well, just forget all this evidence that you've come up with, Bill. Just pray about it. Well, the only reason you believe you need to pray about it is because it's in the Book of Mormon, right? Well, of course. Well, if this story isn't true, there is no Book of Mormon. So using Moroni 10.4 as evidence becomes kind of silly, doesn't it, at this point? So we want to look at this whole story and try to see whether or not this can be replicated, kind of like a science project. And I've used that expression many times when talking to people about this. We're going to observe and we're going to repeat to see if this can be replicated and that someone could actually do what Joseph Smith claimed that he did. And what you're trying to do is take a look at all of the evidence, put it on the table. We call this inference to the best explanation. What is the best explanation for Joseph Smith taking plates that would have weighed 200 pounds, according to the dimensions that he has given, running for three miles to be able to fight off attackers? Is this even possible? What is the likelihood of that? And that's just one chink. We're not saying that Mormonism is therefore proven false by this one area, but if you take this and another and another and another, it builds a case and it makes the Book of Mormon susceptible to error that a lot of Latter-day Saints are not willing to consider because they have this prayer that they have given, and they get this good feeling that somehow that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. You raise a good point, though, Eric. It's not the only argument. It's not the end-all argument. But it is an important argument, and this is why. You have, for instance— the statement from Jeffrey R. Holland, which is shown at the beginning of this video on the God Loves Mormon site. And it's Jeffrey Holland basically saying that if this story is not true, the church is not true. So even though it may not be the argument to end all arguments, it's a very important one. And Jeffrey R. Holland, a Mormon apostle, seems to believe that himself, that he would make a comment like that. So in light of that, this is why I I like to go in this direction. It's a historical argument, I admit, and I like walking Latter-day Saints through their own history because, well, as we can see from some of the comments that are written on this page, a lot of Latter-day Saints don't seem to know their own history. And I'm trying to tell them what the history says as it's recorded by their own church. Here's a comment from Ken Wick, and he writes on the website, a crucial fact for this video is the weight of the plates. Yes, a solid block of gold for the dimension of the plates would be about 200 pounds, 8 by 6 by 6, or maybe about 100 pounds assuming uneven gold plates. Notice he got rid of 50%, considering, I guess, a 50% air gap. Those who handled the plates gave a weight between 30 and 60 pounds. This means the plates were not made of gold and were most likely made of copper or tin. I suggest that Mr. McKeever make a replica weighing 60 pounds maximum. 
the witnesses, 30 pounds, and he gives a, a, a source for that from 1830. Uh, 60 pounds, and it was sure it weighed 40, Will, Willard Chase. 40 or 50 pounds, Harris in 1859. 30 pounds, another source that he gives. 40 to 60 pounds, Harris in 1870. 60 pounds, William Smith, 1883 and 1884. Let me just respond to all those weights that you gave in those references. Every single one of them is worthless when it comes to this study. And why would I say that? Because they're all assumptions. Because they're just assumptions, this is why you see such a wide range, 30 to 60 pounds, that's a pretty wide range. It's funny, when I have Latter-day Saints lift my plates and I ask them, how heavy do you think my plates were? And these are my sheet metal plates that are the same size that Joseph Smith gave. You'd be amazed at the wide range of estimates that I receive from people lifting those plates of mine. What does that show? It's not scientific. So who cares that one says 30 pounds? Who cares that one says 60 pounds? That's just an opinion. It's certainly not based in any type of science. And I would say that most people who do lift your plates, they don't give an estimate that's heavier. They seem to always give an estimate that is 20, 30, or 40 pounds lighter. Most of the time, you're right. The, very rarely do I get an estimate that even comes close to the 80 pounds that my plates happen to be. But when this person says a crucial fact for this video is the weight of the plates, I wouldn't even argue that. I would say that's true, absolutely true. That's what the whole argument is about, the weight of the plates. He admits a solid block of gold for the dimensions of the plates would be about 200 pounds. And I would agree, though, I'm not really arguing for that. I'm not really arguing for a solid block of gold. I'm arguing instead for a number of plates that were about the thickness of a sheet of tin. And that could be a variable width when you think about it. I tried to get my plates to be made as closely as I could to what I thought tin would be. And I think they were like 23 gauge or something like that. But you notice something, though, Eric. He immediately goes to the 100-pound assumption if the plates were uneven. That's interesting that he has to make that course correction. But the problem with going in that direction is you get rid of the plates that were necessary to have the text for the Book of Mormon on it. I've had many Latter-day Saints tell me, well, if there was a 50% air gap, then it would be half the weight you think it is. It would only be about 100 pounds, maybe. Okay, fine, but now you have less plates to give us the Book of Mormon, and you can't fit a book that thick on that few of metal plates. And not only that, Bill, but two-thirds of the plates were the sealed portion. So you wouldn't assume there would be any air gap there. And then the plates, the weight of them would go down on each other. So let's just say even the one-third of the plates, they would not all have 50% air gap, even for one-third. So it would be erroneous to say it goes from 200 to 100 in a one false swoop. Mr. Wick goes on to say that those who handled the plates gave a weight between 30 and 60 pounds. And I say to that, who cares? This means the plates, he says, were not made of gold and were most likely made of copper or tin. Oh, be careful there, Mr. Wick, because copper's very heavy. And, and tin, are you really telling me that you think that copper or tin plates would have survived being buried in the environment of upstate New York for the centuries that they were in the ground? 
I don't think they would have survived. And if they did, they would have been pretty decomposed. This is why even Mormon apologists have to insert gold into this alleged alloy they refer to as tumbaga. There has to be so much gold involved in that to keep that alloy from forming what even Reed Putnam, a Mormon metallurgist, said would form electrolysis. Well, if you're going to use Tumbaga, then you must not believe in the Heartland model that all of these events took place in North America, because that's something that's found in South America, not North America. That becomes problematic as well. If you're going to go with a Tumbaga theory, you've kind of played your hand. Well, I believe in the limited geography theory that the Book of Mormon lands were down in Central America somewhere. And of course, people like Glenn Beck would probably have an argument with you on that, because Glenn Beck is more of a heartland model person and believes that the Nephite people lived in the area that we now know as the United States. But this gentleman, Mr. Wick, goes on to say, I suggest that Mr. McKeever make a replica weighing 60 pounds maximum. I'll do better than that, Ken, because I've already done it. I've made a replica that's 50 pounds. And why 50 pounds? Because that was also a theory, that if you put so much of an air gap and you get as much of the gold out of the equation as possible, then the plates, according to this assumption, would probably weigh about 53 pounds. So I had a set of plates made that were only 50 pounds. And you ought to watch people trying to lift those plates out of my little red wagon, because I don't give them a stand in order to put their fingers under it like I do my 80-pound plates. And a lot of people admit that carrying those is almost as difficult as carrying the 80-pound plates. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.